I don't have to let people know they're being recorded because that's kind of par for the course. Thank you very much, Skype. I'm being recorded. I imagine we recreated this as a radio play later on with actors. Imagine, <laughs> imagine we objected now. <laughs> no, I don't want recording. 54 episodes, though, I demand my privacy. <laughs> How fucking dare you? You mean we've been taping this the whole time? <laughs> I would never have told you where the bodies were buried otherwise. <laughs> Good God. Dave's right, it should be made into a radio play. Can you imagine a big finish adaptation of this? I'd probably end up writing the damn thing. So. <laughs> but which one of us would John Culture do? All of us. All of us. <laughs> All of us. Just for cost reasons. What's a generic Scottish accent? That'll do. Times three. <laughs> <laughs> one of them is slightly softer than the other two. <laughs> Because he's south, you know. One of them a bit more hickish. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just the same accent with a banjo in the background. It's just like, okay. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, I've come to look for a missing schoolgirl. <laughs> if it, if, you know, that, funny is the fact that that was actually filmed here. <laughs> you know. Yeah, some say it was a film. We all know it was a documentary. We all know it's a documentary. Good old Cacoudbury. We'd all end up like, end up sounding like Billy Connolly, wouldn't we? Probably. That's probably the only Scottish person you can do. Exactly. That'll probably be it. Hey, well, we're going to sit today and talk about Four to Doomsday. <laughs> it's got a big fucking frog. You can just hear it now, can't you? <laughs> and no one batting an island. <laughs> gentlemen, welcome to the corner of Doctor Who fandom that thinks that this whole sorry situation could have been avoided if only the TARDIS had a large stock of pint glasses. It's the Bolus Box, the podcast that puts Doctor Who in the dock. I'm Lee. I'm Dave. And I'm still Cameron, even after last month's trauma. <laughs> the trauma's not over yet. Shall, no, I'm shall I, more. Shall I get the safe space music out now? It might have it's to. Very early to the podcast, so but. I've just I've just come back from wandering around Kirtle Bridge in my pants and my dressing gown. <laughs> that's before you saw the result of the vote. Pretty much, that's a usual Thursday. Chasing <laughs> <laughs> the ice cream van down the road. Yes, yes. I say, I, yeah, we need to explain that the fact that I have a window open and there is an ice cream van that comes around my village on a Thursday night now. Mm. So you might get a little ice cream tune at, at, at one point. If that happens, don't worry, you're not dreaming it. We should point out to the listeners that you join us at the very, very start of Scottish summer, uh, a few days shy of July. So we're sitting with our, well, I've got a window open because there's lunatics doing their lawns at like quarter past eight at night. So that's not our option, so I'm going to spit it out. You've got ice cream fans going past. Dave, you live on the sticks. Anything happening there? Nope. My window's open, the street's quiet. My neighbour is sitting drinking beer in his garden. That's it. I think that's because Dave lives high above the clouds. <laughs> he does. He, he actually, just, actually does. He does. He lives so high up a mountain. 
Dave lives so high up his hill that you know national football teams go there to acclimatise before South American World Cups. Yep. That's how they prepare. That's how. Ultimate field, lads. We're going to play in Dave's back garden. Yep. And the worst thing is, after a night in the pub, I have to walk up the hill to get home. <laughs> Through Mayfield. Mm. So this could be an interesting episode of the Polish Box. It could just be Dave left at the end because me and Cam have expired through heat exhaustion. We'll see how it goes. Possibly. Or I could just be running out this window trying to get a 99. <laughs> One of the two. Well, you mentioned your trauma. You've Dave. mentioned your difficulties. This is a safe space. You're allowed to open up to the group. Um, you've not had the best run of it recently, have you, Cam? Well, on, on this show or just generally in life? <laughs> well, you know, you, you can share things with us, that's fine. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just, no, well, this, yeah, I just seem to have been the, the sort of Carmageddon kind of like grumpy get of this podcast now, and I can assure people that wasn't always the case. It's just that they've turned me this way. <laughs> it's uh, a long-term yeah, project. I, 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 well, yeah, I seem to have lost the last five, six? Uh, not as many as that, I don't think. Nah, You've definitely not. lost the last two. Yeah, quite, I, I think you lost heavily. three, then one, one. Now I lost two again. Yeah, other. Oh, right, okay. But you've had some whopping defeats in the last two. I mean, it's not been to, a bit not to rub it in. No, not at all. It's been a, it's been a torrid thing, Cam. You, yes, you must it's... be ashamed. Are your family still speaking to you? No. <laughs> it's terrible. I write to them eventually. You know, I, I'll write to Kyle eventually. He'll get the letters. It'll all be, be fine. Being told to burn them when they come through the front door. Don't open it. Don't open it. It's lost Don't the vote it. for it's the time warrior. It's from your dad. Don't open it. <laughs> Doesn't even like the stolen air from Germany's end. You're having nothing to do with him. <laughs> not until you're 18. Not until you're 18. You make your own decisions then. But for now, no, no. We're not having this. Well, two whoppers you've lost in a row. Shall we see yep. if you can pull it out the fire? Or if Dave will walk away with the match ball... Well, with his hat trick of wins. Judging by what you yourself have been saying on Twitter, Your Honour, I think we might know how it's going to go. Oh, but hey, oh, it's oh, not right. us. Okay, right, we're fucking doing this, are we? Oh, we're fucking doing <laughs> what? Am I getting mutiny in my courtroom here? Not mutiny, we're not on your side. You're him, by the side. way, I'd just like to point out from him. <laughs> Dave, what I said to you in WhatsApp earlier on was in confidence, young man. Hey, well, wait you? a minute. <laughs> I, exactly. I... And no way suggested at any point that I should use my other five Twitter accounts to influence the vote, just to break Cameron's spirit to see how low we could get it. See, this is just... I did not say that at all. This is just... That's me. This is how David Icke came about. <laughs> you, know, you start to whoa, believe whoa, that whoa, this can... Whoa, whoa, right, objection, objection. Don't you can't object here with the judge. I can't, it's my courtroom, shut it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not taking this from the man who encouraged his own son, his own own son, his own spawn, his own flesh and blood, to vote in his favour, using your family to influence the vote. That was that was his own that was his own decision. <laughs> Is it the only making contact? You know, he's not allowed to speak to you. Yeah, that's just like Twitter votes. That's what we do. It's like you know, can Dad come round on Thursday? Yes, no. That's how. That's the only. That's the legal loophole which I've come. Which no. Saturday Christmas card. That's yep. the only contact. Pretty much. Pretty much. No. I like that that started off with you threatening to use sock puppet accounts to downvote Cameron's side <laughs> and ended with you shouting at Cameron. I, 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 I don't know how that worked. 
I don't know idea why either, because apparently you know he like he can have sock puppet accounts to like influence the vote, but then I you know my son votes, and it's for somehow completely. <laughs> yeah, nepotism. your son who actually watches Doctor Who with you. Yes, like, <laughs> like he might actually have an opinion. He's not some <laughs> random fictitious purpose. I'm the judge. I rule. <laughs> Let's find out who you got on in the last one then, Cam, because you know this could all swing in your favour. Uh... In the police box, episode fifty-three, we put the eleventh hour on trial. Cameron, you were prosecuting it. That's the format. That is indeed the format, Dave. You were defending it. That's the winning side. That's... <laughs> Probably. Usually is. Let's find out how it went. Here we go. Okay then. So. The result of the 11th hour poll, guilty, 13%, not guilty, 87%. Oh, Jesus. You know you can't go Dave romps the victory, collects the match ball, does a lap of the pitch, and disappears down to the dressing room to quaff champagne. Well done, Dave. Pool's panel result, home win. <laughs> Is that the biggest win we've ever had? Uh, one of them. No. Definitely one of them. Well, in my defence, part of my reasoning for trying to downvote Cameron earlier on is it was pushing it very, very close to being a record vote. We did have a 92-8 in favour of not guilty uh, for Horror of Fang Rock. And I was tempted Oof. just to nudge it to see if we could just encourage it to go to that level, but no. I, I, I stood back, I put my phone down, I walked away, and that's how it's ended up. 13 so, to 87. Two, two things on this score I'd just like to point out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Number one, um, now that we can sort of like, you know, come clean in the courtroom and, you know, just basically the, the joke I made on Twitter about I didn't take notes until halfway through 11th hour because I was actually enjoying it is true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was like kind of going, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be hating this. <laughs> and I'm just like, kind of, oh, it's really good. I imagine such a thing as enjoying an episode of Doctor Who. I know it's absolutely off its wall, nuts. Crap, it's, but, a, it's an alien concept, man. It's an alien it's concept. An alien concept. I mean, whatever made you know, whatever made that a good you know Doctor Who episode. And also, uh, too, I'd like to point out in the recording that that was a judge's candid uh, in-person uh, admission that he writes to rig the vote from time to time. Yep. No, I walked away. I've never done it. I never will. The, the thought process the was there. Was the thought process was there. Yeah. The thing is, he pointed out that he's able to, and he might be willing to bring the vote at one point. Yeah. He just hasn't so done like, it we're, yet. We're, we're technically two thirds of the way there. That's how fascism starts. Like, yep. Come, the, come, the war machines vote. I will be donning my black shirt. I'll be standing on my balcony, and every single Twitter account under the sun, I will commandeer and vote not guilty. The only time I will do it. The only time. What you like to hear from my judge that he's going to one day put on his black shirt and head out onto the balcony. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to tonight's location, Nuremberg. <laughs> <laughs> We're not doing Let's Kill Hitler. <laughs> no, we've done that, have we not? <laughs> <laughs> too soon, too soon. <laughs> well, I've done that as well. Yeah. Uh, right, I think okay. I won. He did? Aye. 
It's funny you've got a knacker doing that, Dave, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Is that not, was that not a time when then a guy would have to have defended Hitler? Oh dear. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> hey, there's still time. <laughs> the door's not closed in that one. Right, shall we get on with tonight's episode then? Probably better. Let's do it. It's time to go back to 2014, the rock and roll years, and ask that age-old question. What came first? The exoparasite housed in amniotic fluid or the egg? As we put Kill the Moon on trial. The moon isn't breaking apart. Well, rightly, it is breaking apart, and rather quickly we've got about an hour and a half. But that isn't the problem. It's not infested. What are they then? Those things? Bacteria. Tiny, tiny bacteria living on something very, very big. Something that weighs about 1.3 billion tons. Something that's living. Something growing. The moon isn't breaking apart. The moon is hatching. The moon's an egg. We don't do anything. I'm sorry, Clara. I can't can't help you. The Earth is my home. The moon's not my moon. Sorry. Whatever future humanity might have depends upon the choice that is made right here and right now. I am asking you for help. Sorry. Well, actually, no, I'm not sorry. It's time to take the stabilizers off your bike. We can kill this creature or we can let it live. We don't know what it's going to do. We don't know what's going to happen when it hatches, if it will hurt us, help us, or just leave us alone. If you think we should kill the creature, turn your lights off. If you think we should take the chance, let it live. Leave your lights on. You walk our earth, Doctor. You breathe our air. You make us your friend, then that is your moon too, and you can damn well help us when we need it. I was helping. What, by clearing off? Yes. Yeah, well, clear off! Go on! You can clear off, get back in your lonely, in your lonely bloody TARDIS, and you don't come back. Kill the Moon was written by Peter Harness, directed by Paul Williamshurst and produced by Peter Bennett. It stars Peter Capaldi as Doctor, Jenna Coleman as Clara, Ellis George as Courtney Woods, Hermione Norris as Captain Lundvik, Tony Soba as Duke, Phil Nice as Henry and Christopher Dane as McKean. It was broadcast on Saturday the 4th of October 2014 and was watched by a total audience of 6.9 million people. Cameron. You're prosecuting Kilderman? Yes. Dave is therefore defending it. That's the format. That is indeed the the format. format. Before we get started, because we didn't do it last time, shall we go to listen to our evidence? We probably better. Let's do that, because that is also the The format. format. (laughs) Oh no, but what if none of the listener evidence agrees with me siding at all for Cameron? Ah well, let's find out. (laughs) This is the law! Chapter 1! 
Deborah has been in touch uh, to say I like all the individual parts of the story and it's admirable they made something this bold and challenging. But something about the end result, maybe Capaldi and Coleman are too good and make it feel too real, means it's one foot over the line that shouldn't be crossed. Right. Bit okay. of both there, bit of both. Right, bit of both, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, 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 as, as we'll get into my evidence, I say this a little bit of both and that's probably part of its downfall, but carry on. Okay, uh, next is Tom Turlow, a newbie. Hello, Tom. Oh, Turlow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, Fantastic. It's not coming to deliver a listener evidence. He's just going to creep up and try a stone of our heads in with a rock. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, looking forward to it. But I'll be fine, because it's polystyrene anyway, and he'll be our pal in the end. Yep, it's all be good. He'll learn the error of his ways. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Tom. Tom says, I've always liked this. I thought it was one of the better stories in Capaldi's first series. It looks great, and Capaldi is superb. I'm aware this is probably a minority opinion, but I think it's a quirky, entertaining watch. Okay, okay, yeah. fair enough. I don't know if that's an unpopular opinion, really. You're like, you're like, say it's entertaining. People think that. Uh, moving on. Uh, the artist formerly known as Millie McKenzie has been in touch. She says, Love this on airing. Bold and brutal. A confused relationship such as theirs needs to break to reform with honesty and understanding. I'm too scared to watch it again, though, because you've all ruined it for me. The moon is an egg. What of it? The earth has formed around a giant spider, for fuck's sake. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. True. Okay. It's true, it's canon. Yeah. It's canon, that's what it is. Yes, canon. Uh, next is another newbie, Tired Old Whovian. It's been in touch. Hello, Hi. Tired Old Whovian. Hello. I'm just wondering how many of these are Lee's sock puppet accounts now. <laughs> <laughs> many. Probably Mate, many. In this seat, I feel like a Tired Old, old Whovian. Uh, right, he says, biggest steaming style of... <laughs> he's been kind of picky. Style of his shmash, man. No, he's censoring himself here. He's gone pre-watershed. Biggest steaming style of pint and the entire run of the show for me. Oh. All of it. Everything. The entire run of the show. Like, are we talking modern or modern and classic put together? I, he, he doesn't clarify, but... Right. Entire run. So, you know. Well, worse than time <laughs> Worse than the stolen earth. Uh, he also goes on to say, unlikable character, dragging story, and as for that whole moon as an egg that hatches into a dragon that lays another egg thing, dot dot dot. Not a fan? Yep. Yeah, no, not, not a fan. fan. No, he's not a fan. You've got someone in your corner there, Cam. Good, at least one. <laughs> Could be two. Let's find out. Jason Thompson has been in touch with us. Uh, I don't think he's been in touch with us before. Mm. Maybe it wasn't in no, I was going to say, don't ring a bell. It's fairly new, so you know, maybe yes. If you have, Jason, apologies. You seem hello, Jason. But hello, anyway. Uh, right, Jason says, guilty. The moon is an egg is a fine plot idea. It looks gorgeous, too. The idea of the doctor pushing his companion to make a big ethical decision is a nice idea, but actually having him bugger off and strand them before popping back at the end to rescue them was too far for me. The argument at the end could have been a huge turning point, but of course it didn't stick, and instead leads to a horribly toxic period where both Clara is lying to the Doctor and Danny Pink. It turns both Doctor and Companion into unlikable characters. I think you can do that with one or the other, but not both at the same time. And the science. Dear gods, they make the mess they make of that. Most science mangling you Doctor Who I can ignore, but when they take real things and make them plot points and mess them up, it ticks me right off. There's more. <laughs> it goes to open university, so honestly, at this point. 
Excellent gain mass as Jetta develops. A few billion added tons will perfect the moon's mass enough to make the gravity Earth-like, and shifting mass won't lead to people randomly floating off the surface. Prokaryotic spiders is nonsensical. A shuttle can't get to the moon or survive a crash landing on it, and a door isn't an airlock just because it leads into space. And just to prove that nobody in the production team pays any attention to the moon, in the final shot of it, Clara's looking up at it and it's backwards. It's a terrible, terrible episode that leaves a bitter taste in the mouth and leads to the worst doctor-companion relationship ever, in my opinion. Whoa. Well, that's definitely something on my side then for the defence. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, well, you can you, you can have him, Dave. Stick in the boot right in. I've always yeah. liked that guy. I've always liked that Jason. He's, you know. Doctor Who's always had issues around the physics of things, though. Yeah. It has a tight machine with that's bigger on the inside, so, you know, physics. One final bit of listener evidence comes from Fraser Gregory, who says, Not guilty. Don't look at the moon. The moon is not what the story is about. It's about giving us some good old-fashioned creepy-crawly scares on the way to the real point of the story. Clara's choice. Having a doctor who pushes his companion into that corner, who expects more of her than just fawning admiration, is a bold and brave choice. It doesn't work and he crosses a line and needs to make up for it, but it's a real turning point for both characters and this series as a whole. Before that though, he's very doctorish with the opening scene of him hopping around and disarming the other astronauts is just brilliant. If you write off the whole episode because the moon's an egg, would you write off all of the caves of Androzanis, for example, just for the magma beast? No. So ignore the moon, it's just a MacGuffin. It's fab. That boys is your listener evidence. Nice. A nice fairly Mix, spread there I think well. uh, I was going to say a bit of an even spread going on tonight There's it no is yeah it's not often we get a sort of 50-50 split unless on Reddings really is it no not really it's usually pretty definite one way or the other you maybe get like you know of well, how, how many we've got at least sort of five or six bits of listener evidence recently haven't we yes yeah, up. so you always usually get like sort of five on one side then maybe one dissenter but that's a kind of 50-50 that was kind of, I felt like it was a three I wasn't keeping count but that felt like a three three for one three for the other yeah, it was yeah, pretty much in the middle, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This should be interesting. And it's actually quite a nice surprise, because I wasn't expecting that. I haven't watched this a few times recently, I can't see why people wouldn't enjoy it. Just as well, because you're on the defence tonight. That's good. That's good. <laughs> but this yeah. this is one of those episodes that kind of gets reviled. I, I seem to remember this being pelted at the time. Hmm. There was this... Try to think of, like, you know, Capaldi ones that kind of got a good kick in. This was definitely one of the ones that got a good kick in at the time. Yeah. I know I say this about most episodes that aren't a biggie or the pits, but I think this is going to be a genuinely close one tonight. Aye. In terms of the public vote, at least. So That would be good. It would be good. And then Lee will get his sock puppets account, and then it'll, just be, it'll suddenly go, hey, not Whichever guilty. One, he's decided to mind on the most will lose, because that's what he does. Aye, that's what he does, yeah. Not oh, that that's what he could do, but he doesn't do it, obviously. Look, yeah, I, obviously, I, it's just an idea that's in his head. I love you both equally, like the stunted, problematic children you are. You love us both equally. I was one of the best men in your fucking wedding. You love us both equally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I wasn't even known to you both at that time. Exactly. 30. Okay, Cameron, thirteen percent. Dave, eighty-seven percent. How's that? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I thought you'd do better than that, Cameron. I really did. I'm uh, surprised. No, I know. I know. I, I thought that as well. Cameron, it's just well. I've got Twitter on. Right. <laughs> Shall we get into the trial then? Let's get into the trial because <laughs> it's the format. 
Cameron, do you want to kick us off? Do you want to give us the first point for the prosecution against Kill the Moon? I will do so gladly. Right then, okay. The first thing we really need to talk about with this episode is, and it's a general feeling that I get with this, um, and I'll say this, I won't give this a complete, absolute arse kicking. I don't think it's as deserving, uh, you know, it, it's not like, you know, the poster boy for terrible Doctor Who that maybe some of the public gallery put out for, but it, what it breaks is it starts off so well and then falls so badly. I don't think there's a certainly a modern Doctor Who story that builds itself up so brilliantly only to fall completely ten stories down flat on its face as this. The opening five minutes with Clara's the um, whole thing about you know broadcasting to the the earth and you know we need to make this decision and we need to do this that the next thing um, because you know to save one you know one life or the entire of humankind blah 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 you've got questions already about what that's all about and it's a fantastic lead-in but then I would argue that there's gradually through this episode it takes it from that kind of height to just complete and utter nonsensical trash at the end. And I think you can pinpoint the exact moment when this story just completely collapses in on itself. It's the moment that Capaldi, brilliant actor though he is, has to deliver with gravitas the line, the moon is an egg. I mean, I'm not talking about it as a plot point, and you know, kind of, I'm not doing it, I say, I know so a couple of people in the public gallery were saying, oh, if you just concentrate on that moon is an egg thing, then it feels like you you know you're just picking a point in it and bothered to MacGuffin, etc etc but there's a moment where it completely goes you're now being asked up until now it's been like almost a reprise of alien and now you're being asked to consider this other fantastical thing that the moon's an egg and that for me is the moment from that moment onwards this story just completely goes into free fall and splats on the pavement outside at the end all right. So basically, first point is the amount of promise and then the actual payoff. Now, you see, when I was watching this recently, like yesterday, when he gets to say that line, my thought was, that's the kind of thing you dream of when you're a young boy wanting to be Doctor Who. You can get to be in a scene as the Doctor and just turn and go, the moon's an egg. And it, it's an honest and actual line that you're saying, seriously, in a science fiction program, that the moon's an egg. And it's completely mental and it's fun. Because Doctor Who should be fun. And you're right, the start of this episode, this story is very alien-esque. And it's dark and it's spiders and cobwebs and jump scares. And then it comes back to being light and Doctor Who. You can come out from behind the couch now, kids. Because the Doctor's being an idiot. The moon's an egg! And it, it kind of lightens it back up. Because I think if you kept it that dark for the entire episode... It would just be really bleak and depressing. So I think as much as it's a bit of a throwaway cheap line, it raises the level so that it's still the Doctor being the Doctor rather than we're all going to die. So now we need to decide whether we're all going to die or we're going to kill this new life. Which is it? Because that's very, very dull and dark. And I think you need the Doctor with his yo-yo and the moon's an egg. Because his role in this is to lighten up. Everyone else throughout this is really serious. The woman astronaut, really serious the whole way through, hates everything about everything about everyone. Clara, moody. The teenage girl, moody as fuck. So the Doctor's role in this story is to 
inform things and lighten everything up. That's what his role is. So that's why I say he's the moon's an egg. Because yes, it's a stupid comedy line. But that's the Doctor's role in this story, is to be the stupid comedy one. The one who's bouncing around to test the gravity. The one with the yo-yo. The one that dives in the amniotic fluid. The one that says the moon is an egg. That That's his role in this. And it's not often that the Doctor gets to be the Doctor, but also almost the comic relief. Because it is a very serious story, and it's very seriously told. But we need something to lighten it, because otherwise it would just be a dirge the whole way through. It's certainly a neck snap of a tonal shift, though, do you not think? Oh, yeah. But that that's what the Doctor does. And I can does. appreciate what you're saying. There's a certain contrast being made with the Doctor, his yo-yo, and bouncing up and down, going, oh, I am an alien who travels in space and time and tests gravity by looking like he's trying to moonwalk, literally. Yeah. But as they, you're basically, throughout the entire story, going, fine, they've gone to blow up the moon because the moon's fragmenting. That is an interesting idea. Well, on a writer's table, that is an interesting kind of thing to go with. What if the moon was to just break up and disappear? Fantastic. And then you get the idea of, right, they're going to send nukes to the moon to destroy it completely to return ties to it. Regardless of the scientific basis behind that, which I think is probably going to be not particularly true, um, fine, we'll skim on that because, you know, if we picked up science and Doctor Who all day, then you get no stories at all. Then you have the whole thing of suddenly there are spiders on the moon, which is seemingly just put in there just to have a monster for them to fight at one stage. It's then defeated by chemical spray like bleach cleaner, which, as far as I'm aware appears out of nowhere. There's no kind of Courtney has it to clean on the TARDIS. Yes. Does she? She's right. I, I, was, I, was, I was wondering, I must have missed that bit. My apologies. But I did wonder, like, where the hell has that come from? There's a whole thing about the travel sickness for the... Right, is that Oh, yeah, because she was barfing on the TARDIS. That's so on, it. Yeah, right, right, I get you. I had a moment <laughs> of just that being a bit jarring and a bit kind of like, what? It doesn't quite explain why she'd put the spray bottle of Dettol into her astronaut suit or where the pocket was for it. <laughs> Not really, no, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, so that's bacteria and the spiders, but this is there. Even that you would accept, you know, there's a mining thing on the moon, the moon's breaking apart, there's these spiders. If they'd have left it there and just done it as a kind of like, you know, fine, go down the alien route, there's spiders on this this mining unit and you need to sort of like find the core of it and, you know, they're, they're at the moon's core, they've laid a nest, blah, 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 blah. Great, go with that. Then it would seem to be that they've sat at the writer's table and then gone, we need something fantastical to bring this out of the ordinary. How's about, snorts line, the moon's an egg. (laughs) And it's got a dragon in it. But wait a minute, there's spiders. What have they got to do with a dragon? Who knows? As it's more commonly known, behind the scenes a big finish. (laughs) Yes. Oh, Eric Roberts box it, anyone? Aye, let's do that. 16 um, volumes. There is this sudden kind of like... There's this... Kill the Moon from Me crosses this un-seen line of the threshold that Doctor Who stories can be kind of out there, but then not ridiculous. And there's that moment for me is when this crosses over into absolute ludicrous territory and you're going, nah, this is just... And although, yes, it's a show about a time-travelling box and all things are possible and that's great, but there are certain setups. If you were, like, 
talking about a planet that was full of dragons and this is how you know you know dragons were floating around in this star system or whatever and this is how they were born then yes i could that that'd be fine if you started off that way great it's you know for an idea but it's these two ideas of moon breaking apart what is earth going to do great dragon x that don't quite combine together enough for me i, I think the issue is that you said earlier there was a massive tonal shift and I think that's the problem with this. There are actually two stories here. There's the alien jump scare spiders on the moon story, mm-hmm. where you're trapped and the spiders coming after you. And there's the moon is an egg story. And the two yep. aren't really related. Because I, I was watching this on the couch with Katrina, and then she was knackered, so she was going to bed. So I paused that. It was about halfway through. Is this a post-COVID knackered? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she's going to bed at like 8 o'clock at night. Yeah, well, I yeah. paused this about halfway through, say goodnight to her, tidied up, got myself another drink, sat back down, and hit play. And I was like, "This is actually a completely different story." Yeah, and I, like the spiders never get dealt with. There, there's no, no, there's no nothing done with them. It's, it's just a thing. There's spiders on the moon now. All right, and on to the next story. But it's, there's no next story. Like finish that story. I could even forgive it if it wasn't spiders, it was little mini dragons. Yeah, but then they'd be too cute and Melly would be making them all the time. <laughs> this is true, and I don't know if dragons would be defeated by a bit of Dettol spray. That's true. But even that that would have maybe, you know, you would have found some way around that, but that maybe would have been like something more to link it to Dragon Egg, and that maybe would have been a little bit more of a kind of like natural progression. But yeah, you're right, the spiders don't really get any resolution to them, you don't really say why they were there. Does it really matter that they're spiders though? Because they have to visually represent the bacteria in some way. So they, they, they could be like, no, sheep, and we still be sitting here going, oh, that's just fucking stupid. But they obviously went spiders for the jump scares and the cobwebs and the yeah. alien feel of being hunted. Mm-hmm. So it's that's supposed to be like, like, it's supposed to be facehugger, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's like a larger scale version of a facehugger. Which again, if you did 45 minutes of spiders on the moon, that would be a great episode. Yeah, uh, this is what I mean. This is what I've I've said at the start. This starts off brilliantly. And the idea, the core idea of it, of, you know, the moon's breaking apart and Earth's tides are fucked. Then, you know, that is fine. That is a cool basis for a Doctor Who story. But But then you end up with arachnids in the UK in space. Yeah, but this was before arachnids in the UK, isn't it? <laughs> I know, but I'm just, I'm just So saying. you just don't do arachnids in the UK. Or, shock horrorly, you do arachnids in the UK, and guess what? It's the same bloody spiders that just come down from the moon. <laughs> yep. It's the sequel. They're allowed to do out. They're allowed, yeah, to, no, do they're allowed to, to They're allowed to do the, the, you know, they're allowed to almost kind of murder their Trump analogy. Well, well, I mean, I've been going to Sheffield in a couple of weeks. Why can't a spider? Yes. South you know. Yorkshire for all. Anyway, that was a side note. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Hello, anyone from Sheffield. <laughs> yeah, anyway, that's... Dave gets a point now. Spent it wisely. Yeah, we, we've said that this is two stories. I've said this is two stories. And that 45 minutes of the spiders would be great. I love the first half of this episode. Because you properly get the feeling of claustrophobia, the power feeling. As you said, it's aliens. And it's yeah. got that feel to it. I can't disagree but, with you. It's quite unusual for British sci-fi to get that much of a Hollywood feel to it on a relatively low budget. Mm. But everything's done well. The space station feels like it could be a space station. You you occasionally get space stations in Doctor Who 
where you know that they've done the floor and that wall over there and the rest of it's open space because they have to move the cameras in and out. So you feel that space there. But this felt claustrophobic and crap. No. Well, it's a like, mining unit, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's a television set. But I actually felt like a mining yeah, unit. It's supposed to be a mine. Yeah. So it's a bit like... It's a bit like um, you ruin the magic, why don't you? Christ, like the ma- what has ever happened to the magic of Doctor Who? <laughs> um, there's, uh, it's a bit... It's got echoes of the thing as well, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I can back that up. I watched it on Sunday at the cinema. It's got a lot of the thing in it. Yep. Where, where was my invite? <laughs> I went with my wife. Where was my invite? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Was it a romantic day out? Was <laughs> yeah, watching yeah, the thing. The thing. Yeah, it was actually. Come back from Greece, go to the cinema, watch the thing. <laughs> yeah. What you want? Sit there and just go. To be fair, it's better than. It's better than love, actually. Yeah, it's it's really well done. It feels like a space station. It feels like a mining colony. Mm-hmm. It feels like they're trapped. And the spiders, for all that you don't see them, so they're a threat. Most of you see the monster, you go, oh yeah, that's somebody in a costume, or that's really ropey-looking CGI. But even now, watching this, when it's a few years old, it doesn't look bad. It looks believable for the mining station on the moon haunted by giant spiders. But it feels real. Yeah. And I thought that was really well done. Unusually for Doctor Who in a lot of ways. There's not many Doctor Who special effects that have aged badly, I don't think. Season 1, Eccleston's season, some of the effects on that are ropey. To be fair, that's almost 17 years old, though. I mean, Yeah, I was, yeah, was going to say, but it, it's obvious... Cuts they haven't, slack, yeah. They haven't quite gone to town with the budget on those ones because, obviously, they weren't sure whether it was going to be a hit or not. Yeah, bye. Um, but then... You know, I'm just thinking. I can't remember looking back any of the uh, effects. But yeah, you're right. The effects on the spiders in this one are Three words. still love and monsters. <laughs> Paving slabs, yes. 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 <laughs> Slab with a face. Slab with a face. Wouldn't it chafe your uh, inner thigh? Probably yes. Yeah. yeah. Never mind. So mine's actually really bad for your skin. So oh, I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. Ask any skateboarder. Yes. Yeah. You know me, I'm always hanging out with skateboarders. Ah, yes. Middle-aged shred. Yeah. Hello, fellow um, kids. I tell them I'm hey. Tony Hawk, they go, who's that? I think I used to present Vision On, wasn't he? Yeah. We're sorry we can't return any of your skateboards. We've gone down a bit of a uh, cultural cul-de-sac there, haven't we? A little bit of a cultural cul-de-sac, yeah. Before I start I getting an interview. I was interviewing with Tony Hawks the other day, and he said he was booed at most of his early um, skate contests because he was oh. yeah because he was doing all these stunts that are now like normal, but back then he was considered being like a flash twat basically. So in the like early eighties, they just booed him off the park for like you know just like, for trying yeah. to do all this like nine hundreds and all this kind of stuff. And his terrible stand up and carrying a fridge around Ireland. Oh, I don't yeah, that one. Huh? No, aye, no, yeah. no, no, that different, one. That different one. Tony yeah. Hawk. Right. Yeah, different, different Tony okay, Hawks. Okay. Anyway, yes. I, I think we're done with that point for the prosecution now, aren't we? I think so, yeah. It's, and it's, it's, again, it's difficult to argue with that because, as I've said already, the first half of this is really bloody good. Um, which, as I say, makes it all the more disappointing as to how the second half turns out. But yeah, we can't argue with how it looks. It looks really, really good. Still looks really good now. Sort of, what, about eight years later? Capaldi, obviously, as is usual, does tend to carry a lot on his shoulders as far as this is concerned 
but yeah, that and often in Capaldi's more sort of dodgier episodes, his performance is enough to kind of like lift it from maybe uh, to not so bad. Uh, which I don't think it really helps here because obviously they make the decision that he buggers off for half of it. Okay then. Dave, do you want to give us the first point for the defence of Kill the Moon? I just did. And I partly really like how it looks. <laughs> the first half of Aliens Your first great. proper point for the defence of Kill first the Moon. Proper that point. was a proper point. <sighs> Splitting fucking hairs. Right, give us your he's second. Getting, he's, Dave, 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 he's getting picky in his old age. You know what I think? He is, isn't he? <laughs> old forgetful age, as well. <laughs> it's a heat man. I can't, I can't handle it. Look at him. It's must be what the menopause he's, is like. He's put up there. For those listening on audio, Lee is beating with sweat on this camera. <laughs> yeah. I'm this close to going on a watercolour painting weekend and living Pretty in much, a caravan. Yeah. Do you ken those, like, those, th- those bits in the movie where they're deciding what wire to cut for the bomb? <laughs> it's looking like that. <laughs> oh, man, it is warm. All right, and Dave, give us your second point for the defence of Kill the Moon then. Second point is that this is a really nice small cast. A lot of the time you'd expect this to be people in the background and lots of radio communications with Earth and cutting away to a small family sitting on a sofa somewhere like struggling under the changes of gravity on Earth. But they don't do this. There's no cutaways. There's no let's show how it affects other people. They're all stuck in this situation. The only time they actually discuss it with people outside of that little team is the very start where we get the opener, and basically at the end, we're, we do the same thing again. So the fact that all of this weight is put onto these basically four actors to carry a 40-minute episode of television, and they all do really well with it. Now, I say at the start, the lead, act, the lead astronaut was grumpy about everything, and she is, but you see the reasons that she's grumpy about everything. She's actually a well-rounded character to an extent. The Doctor's being the Doctor, and I've said he's there for comic relief. And Clara and Courtney bring different facets to the story because you can see that Clara starts off wanting Courtney to feel better about herself. She's showing her duty of care. But eventually when it comes down to it, Clara is the one that has to stand up and make the decision for all of humanity. So I think the fact that they managed to do this with just four actors, and yes there's the other couple astronaut cannon fodder along the way, but it's the fact that there's four actors carrying this entire story is really well done. Because you could see them becoming caricatures if they weren't carefully written and carefully played. So I think the casting and the acting is good. Done? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just making sure. Just making sure. Uh, yes, Capaldi is being Capaldi um, and is brilliant for it. I don't think. What was her name again? The main astronaut woman? Uh, that's Captain Lundvik. Uh, actress's name. She was in Cold Feet. Hermione Norris. That's the Hermione one. Norris. She seems to be in, in spending the entire forty-minute run of being uh, a scowl, essentially. And I know, like you know, you were saying, there's the reasons why she's so angry. But she just she, there's no light really in that character. There's no hope. And I think at the, at the end, there's not really that much either. She seems to be quite this sort of single-minded, one-dimensional, dare I say, kind of person just put there to, I'm going to explode the moon and that's it, goodbye, good night. 
can we have a show of hands to who actually watched this episode in isolation and forgot that Courtney was a thing? Because I did. <laughs> I, I was a... like, oh yeah, her. I did have this vague record. I was mean, trying to remember what other episode she's been in. She's in the Forest of the Night, but that's after this. Because uh, I forgot this was that period of time where he was like the janitor at Cole Hill. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah. And then I couldn't remember. And I was like, oh yeah, Courtney kind of finds the TARDIS in one episode, doesn't she? I can't remember if she goes in. I mean, the caretaker was the episode before this, I think. But I don't remember yeah. her feature on it. It was very much like Clara, Danny, Doctor, and the robot thing. Yeah, yeah, the little laser cannon. I mean, they could be referring to like an unshown episode, one of these, you know, kind of gaps in between the two where they took her off on a trip. But like I say, I, yeah, I can't remember big... featuring before this point. Oh, so. Big finish of furiously scribbling. Now, <laughs> um, the Courtney box set. Uh, basically, it's going to be 10 hours of uh, four CDs or whatever, <laughs> and uh, this voice is going, I'm going home, I want to go home. <laughs> Um, you know, that's why they're still releasing them on CD, so it's a nice shiny reflective surface for all the coke. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, Our lawyers yeah, would I like just... to point out that if any of the big Finnish staff are listening, it's true, isn't it? It's true. <laughs> oh, I'd like to point out that it's just the judge that said that, not me and David. <laughs> yep. Thus negating us from any legal action forthcoming. Yep. We would never, Dave and I would never, ever, ever, ever suggest that anyone at Big Finish is involved in recreational drug use. <laughs> you no. certainly, but you're after a job there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, no, exactly, exactly. I wouldn't say anything about that. They are all lovely, lovely people. And, and I think Cameron deserves a job there, not just because I think he'd share his coke with us. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down it's, now. it's a Pablo Escobar of Curtle Bridge, I've heard. Exactly, yeah. You can get his hands on anything you want. <laughs> I know, just, him, just him, and Neville, him and Neville, him and Neville, me and Neville work together for these things. But yeah, I make all these trips to Lockerbie just and get Anyway, um, <laughs> just don't get stopped on the A74. Where were we? Drugs. No. Um, Courtney. Courtney was Courtney, yes. Courtney, with characters. Courtney is effectively in the same mould as Adric in the fact that she's a pain in the arse. It's kind of like she is the archetypal whining teenager who, um, I'd like to point out, by the way, not all 15-year-olds are whiny and obsessed with their phones. Uh, just in case anyone should be listening over my shoulder at this particular moment in time. Um, <laughs> it won't be, he's on his phone. Exactly, yeah. So um, it's just... It's often kind of that thing of... if a, you know, If a character was that bad... And that kind of much of an absolute pain to be with. And the Doctor obviously has not really, shall we say, any warm inclination towards Courtney. Why the hell is she on the TARDIS? <laughs> You'd boot her out. <coughs> because the Doctor's trying to make amends with Clara for the way he treated Courtney last time. That's all it is, he's just trying to make amends with Clara. He doesn't care about Courtney. Just to make her feel special, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, because told her wasn't special, and that's what spiraled out into what well, seems to be a diet of white lightning. You know, can we not have had Courtney just like have a bottle of white lightning with her for this entire episode? <laughs> I think if that's what she got does, some kicking about the TARDIS. He is Scottish. <laughs> it's just like you know, she just be there swigging a two-liter bottle, <laughs> just <laughs> gradually getting progressively more and more drunk as the story goes on. Fighting all the spiders with her bare hands. Yeah, just oh, oh, fucking hoofies. She eventually saves the earth by just stabbing the dragon. <laughs> yeah, just like, just kind of just jamming a bottle in its throat. <laughs> just, that'd be it. It'd be amazing. That would have made this far, far better. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't. 
I know what you're saying, it's a, it's a small cast, two of them are cannon fodder, we know that much. Astronaut woman he just kind of like, just grimaces throughout the entire thing. If we're going to call Tenant's Doctor an absolute dick, then surely this is Capaldi's peak of yes, being your dick. Yes, yes, well, I know we've been through this before, especially season four, Tenant. Then we can sort of say that this is probably Capaldi's main dickhead moment here. Clara, I always thought, was a little bit righteous and whiny as well. So I think, you know, performance-wise, it's fine. But those characters just... None of them are being particularly likeable during all of this. No, they're not. But they're all believable. Especially if you Mm. take away Clara, who you're right, is always kind of whiny and self-righteous. And take away the Doctor, who's always unalien anyway. Yeah. But naive but kind of angry teenage girl yeah that happens and an astronaut who saw the end of the space race the end of the trying to get anywhere in space so saw her job and her dreams die and then finally gets to go into space with the job of blowing up the fucking moon I can see why she'd be grumpy and angry so yeah she has a bit of a grumpy character but you can see why yeah, of she... being a grumpy teenager they do exist that hard so yeah you can sort of see why Ludwig's slightly pissed off that she's been sent up there with 100 nuclear bombs to blow herself and the moon up. That's nobody's idea of a good day at work. Especially when you have to go up in a shuttle that seems to have been welded together out of a museum. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, yeah it's been cut and shot, isn't it? Because the back of it it's was a, a kid's... Was it the back of it was a kid's play park or something like that they said at one point? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's still kind of the throwaway line on that one, isn't it? It was in a museum, the back of it's a kid's play park. Oh, boy. Are we um, done with that point? I think we're done with that point. Okay then. Cameron, give us your next point for the prosecution, please. Most of mine seem to sort of gel into each other, so I'm just kind of working on this here. Hold on, sorry. Yes, um, we need to talk about the story resolution, which is built up as this fantastic choice. As I say, the opening scene of Clara's speech to planet Earth is fantastic at the top of the show but by the time you get to it at the end of the show it's almost it's about two minutes away from being run, rendered null and pointless by events first of all the the shells that the were so worried about hitting earth apparently don't count because they just break up in the atmosphere the eight parts of the eggshell uh, the dragon beastie thing that is actually born does not have any threat towards humankind whatsoever. So that's that ruled out. And also, the fact the moon we've been missing is resolved seemingly by the fact that the newly born dragon lays an egg of its own, and then that's the new moon, and that's perfectly fine and everything all is well. Also, there's a whole thing built up of this, that the tides have gone completely crazy and the whole bit's flooded, and yet they're standing on a beach at the end of this episode, with the tide seemingly fine. I could appreciate if they were on top of a tall building and the entire city below them was flooded. Then yeah, go for it, knock yourself out. But it seems just a bit like everything that this story builds up ends up being completely, in like a five-minute spell, being completely displayed as a complete waste of time and just, oh, oh, it didn't matter anyway, it's fine. It is quite a half-arsed resolution. Mm. Because, yeah, the... The dragon lays an egg and it's the new moon. So all of a sudden it's the same size and mass as the old moon. Where did that mass come from? 
And how is it actually the same size? Because how did it come out of a dragon that came out of a moon if it's the same size as the moon? A newly yes. born dragon? What the hell is the reproductive cycle? A <laughs> uh, hundred million years of gestation, apparently. Jesus. Yeah. It's a big old pregnancy. Probably. But yeah, it's the only one of its kind. All right, But yeah, it's a strange... It is almost like they, they had their lines of coke. And they thought, we want to get this decision. We want to have this big overarching story. No one at Big Finish takes. <laughs> I'll point that out. Just in case they've got my email. Well, I hope they've got all of my emails as well. That'll teach them. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those ones where it almost feels like they had the story, but not the finish. And they tried to come up with a big finish in the last couple of minutes. Well, fuck it, that'll do. The moon's an egg and it lays an egg. Uh, yeah, changes. how do we solve this? Oh, yeah, there's a new moon. It's fine. It just seems to be. Yeah, it, it doesn't work for the payoff it provides. It, it doesn't work for the threat in the opening scene as well, as you said. Yes. Also, if this was a separate point, but we might as well because we're on the same thing. Clara's whose idea is it? Clara's idea to do the whole switch your light on and off thing. Uh, that I seems don't to be Clara's think idea. Whose idea is, but yeah. yeah. I think so. That does seem to. There's numerous flaws in that as well. <laughs> because I've got it written down here as like kind of going, why does this have to go on to some kind of like public vote? And it's like there's so many flaws in Clara's plan anyway. What about time zones? Oh, some actually, folk will yeah, be asleep. <laughs> what about people who don't have electricity? You know, if you're stuck away in the middle of Africa somewhere and all this kind of stuff. What about or, people, you know? Or if there's been damaged because of the floods, because of the tides going. Yes, exactly. What if you've not got a power source? Uh, what about the other side of planet Earth <laughs> that they are currently not facing. Because they've only got an hour and a half. So they can't really seemingly get... Out. It just seems... It's not, not enough for a full orbit, really, is it? Not really, no. not enough for a full orbit and anything like that. It just doesn't seem to be... And are they, are they counting these lights individually? Or is it a bit like, eh, roughly, you know, show of hands. <laughs> It just seems like I can get you want the visual of oh the lights all being turned out on Earth and la 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 and this kill the dragon. Um, I can get that you want that visual bit, but when you look at the actual logistics of that idea, that too seems rather half baked. Thing. You're just going off the idea of people having votes for things, aren't you, Cameron? I don't know why that could be. I am. It's, I don't know why. It's kind of stung me recently. I don't think I really want that to happen now. I'm all for dictatorship. Cameron was in Kill the Moon, be one light left on, and that would just be his front room with Kyle sitting there flicking the light switch on and off. Yes. I'll vote for you, Da. I'll vote for yep. you. <laughs> you know, it's family. We stick together. I see him on Thursdays. Um, but yeah, yeah. I just, I just like, like that whole plan. I say it's, it's gone from to ridiculous anyway with the whole bloody moon egg thing anyway. But then yeah. the whole plan is you can look and go, how would that even logistically work <laughs> in an would, hour and a half? There's no way it could. Because what about the half of the planet that's in daylight? Exactly. You can't tell if they put their lights on and off. Other half of the globe. You could tell by energy consumption levels, but. Not as visually pleasing. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. How and how could you rig it up to like an old mining station somewhere in, on the moon? You know what I mean? It's a lot of admin for forty-five minutes. A little bit, yeah. yeah. I know, and I know it's like that's what I mean. It, it, this kind of falls victim, I think, to being that 
we need to resolve this in 45 minutes with this flashy thing that happens at the end. And that's obviously what they kind of like... I, I get the strongest feeling that the writer had this great idea of I want to like, give them a choice, a difficult choice as to whether they kill the moon or not. And um, there's a kind of like vague analogy about abortion going on here. But then it's like, oh yeah, and we do this. We need to make it more fantastical. This, 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 and this. Will it make sense? Nah, not really, but it'll be okay. We don't work for Big Finish, so let's go for the drugs. Um, so yeah, that's what I would take from it, to be honest with you. Oh, okay, then. Uh, of course, I'd like you to edit what Cameron just said, so oh. that we can guess what it says. Work for a big finish, go for the drugs. That's all I want. Work for a big finish, go for the drugs. 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 <laughs> Work for big finish, go for the drugs. Big finish, drugs. Drug, 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 drug. <laughs> hey kids, go for the drugs. Big finish, drugs. Drug, 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 drug. <laughs> the moon is an egg. <laughs> big finish, we love drugs. I think we're done with that one. I'm rapidly burning through my points here. Are you doing a Richie? I think I'm doing... Well, if it was a Richie, it would be in the first 20 minutes, wouldn't it? That's, that's true. You're doing a semi-Richie. <laughs> a Richie semi. That's what you're doing. Oh, boy. Probably, a half yep. Morgan. <laughs> a half Morgan. <laughs> Full <Coke>. Morgan. Total <laughs> Eclipse. There's the episode title. Half Morgan and Coke. <laughs> hey. hey! That was easy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right then, Dave, give us another point for the defence of Kill the Moon. I'm trying to work out which of my two remaining points I want to go for. Okay. I think I've only got two as well, and it's they're kind of half ones. Alright. There's there's a secret third story here, which is the commentary on humanity's relationship with space exploration, which is kind of touched on, but not massive. It, it comes in at the end, where the daughter says, this is what will make humanity go to the stars again. And I think it's something that Doctor Who has always been trying to get people to do is to look up to the stars, want to go there, want to explore. And it's a lot of the time in sci-fi it's done in a futuristic sense so that one day we will be in the stars. But Doctor Who almost makes it so that if we start now, we will be there soon. And it's not done often enough in sci-fi that these things have to have a beginning. So you've got like Star Trek First Contract where they go back in time to see first warp speed. You've got the ones where they go back in time to see spaceships being launched. But it's not often the things comment on the way we are at the moment where there's not a lot of space exploration and what there is is paid for by evil billionaires who just want to measure their dicks with each other or possibly go back to their home planet. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos sorry. Yeah (laughs) but I think it's nice that Doctor Who says humanity should want to explore and should spend the money on it because it's worth it in the long term. And it's a, it's nice to see Doctor Who do that rather than just view it as something that we have accomplished in the past because it's a story set in the future. Yeah. So there you go, small I mean, point. I mean,
I can't really argue with that point without saying, no, we shouldn't go anywhere different. We should stay on this planet. Bugger out of space. What the fuck's there? Nothing. So, yeah, I'm I can't really say it. I'm happy. I'm, I'm, why do I want to go got outside Cuttle Bridge? Pluto. What's that in Pluto? <laughs> Fucking moon's an egg. Fuck that. I wouldn't even go to Burnley. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Mars. Too hot. Um, yeah, I, I can't really argue against that. It's It's... No, I just say I can't. Can't, can't. Yeah, not really. No, okay. not really. It's like it, it is what it is. Yeah, space exploration is cool, kids, and it is, and we don't do it often enough. This yeah. is how you break them. You hit them with a romantic point about space. It's got nothing. You've got nothing. <laughs> no cynicism. Come back with nothing. Nope. No, no cynicism. No cynicism. Okay, then next point for the prosecution, Cameron. Um, I'd forgotten when I was watching this about how much of this story is of a 45 minute runtime is kind of done by the 35 minute mark because this kind of like ends we get the resolution at the beach and there seems to be another sort of 10 minutes of Clara and Danny and Clara shouting at the doctor and them being horrible human beings to each other or well horrible humans and time lords to each other Um, for a story that this episode's based on it does kind of run out of gas quite quickly and they seem to have to kind of pad out the last 5-10 minutes. I, I, I can see what you mean by that and you're sort of right. But I think the counter to that is that this shows something that a lot of doctors stories don't show which is the aftermath of the decisions that people have made. Because normally you get the big finish, the big resolution, then everyone goes back into TARDIS and then it's back to normal next week. Whereas this story actually shows that Clara is struggling with what she went through and she needs aftercare from the Doctor. But the Doctor isn't capable of treating her like a human being because he's not one. So she has to go to somebody else who is, which in this case is Danny Pink. So he can see that she's gone through something terrible and she's made a decision under huge duress and he goes, yeah, I know what that's like. I've, I've seen that look before on my face, which is a great track. I doubt he did. <laughs> so I think it shows that there's an aftermath to these things and there's a follow-up that we don't usually see in Doctor Who. So yeah, you're right, the main story is resolved after 35 minutes. But unlike normal stories, we actually get to see the fallout from it. It's like you don't get to see what happens after things happen. It's just me, back to normal. Let's all go home, see you next week for a new adventure. Whereas this actually shows that she's carrying stuff with her that she's gone through. And it's quite unusual for Doctor Who to show that. I thought it was unusual, apropos nothing, I thought it was an unusual episode to have that kind of assistant having a breakdown. I, I, you know, you, you, you felt, and it is really good, the, the scene itself is quite good um, when she has that argument with the Doctor, because it is very much believable that she's having this kind of, you know, um, and it's well performed, but um, it seems, when I'm, I'm going with a point here and I've just lost it completely, no, nope, I lost it. Completely. Style it out, no. style it out. Come on. I, I just, I, I say, it, it's, it's very, very well performed, but it feels like a, such a monumentous part of their relationship, the Doctor and Clara's relationship. That it's kind of wasted as a kind of like filler part of this somewhat inconsequential story. Oh, it's a very inconsequential story. It's one of the many stories where everything's literally reset at the end. Mm. So I can see why it feels like she could have had more of a problem with the Doctor through several of the other things they've been through together. This seems like it's not something that should have that big an effect. Yeah. It's not so much sort of the resolution of 
all these events. It's the actions leading up to it that do the damage. The abandonment. Mm. Yeah, and the which will get me to my next point in a wee minute. Okay, but not before Dave has his point. Well, my final point kind of feeds off your point there. It's like we plan these things. (laughs) And it's something that you also mentioned earlier. And it's the the abortion allegory that's going on throughout this bit of the story. Mm. And people go on about the modern Doctor Who being far too political and trying to beat us over the head with sensible points. And I think this is possibly an early stage of that. Because looking back, it's quite obvious that that's almost what it's about. But it wasn't massively obvious at the time, as far as I remember anyway. So it gets to the point that the Doctor leaves, and it's up to the three women to make this decision. The man leaves, it's just up to the women. And these are three women at different stages of life. So you've got the woman with kids, you've got the woman who might have kids soon, and you've got the kid. So it's a full-on witch's coven they've got assembled. And they have to make this decision about whether a being should live or die. And it's not their kid, but it's very allegorical for that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's quite well done the way they've done that. And I think, again, that ties into why she needed the aftercare. Because it says that people are making these huge decisions. And it might not have a big effect on the rest of the world. Everything might be the same as normal for everyone else. But for the people that make these decisions, it can have long-lasting effects and they need help and they need looked after. And I think that's a really good thing for Doctor Who to try and say. Because, as I say, they don't really go into the aftercare much. Every character that meets the Doctor and travels with him for any period of time must have so much mental and emotional damage. Look at Donna, who now can't remember her time with the Doctor, or her years will melt, and she'll die. Until the 60th anniversary comes around. Yeah. But you've got all these people that have seen things and done things that they can't talk about, and they have to deal with them on their own. And it's a nice change for the Doctor to show that these things affect the companions afterwards. It's very much a new series thing, this though, isn't it? I mean, it's never... I know it's not really touched on really up until this point in the new series, but a classic series, there was no kind of, here's the aftermath of this story, or here's the immediate aftermath of this story. It's like Dave says, you know, everything's fine now, reset button pressed, back in the TARDIS, off we pop. Next story, next fun adventure. I'm trying to think of anyone who might have left with, like, PTSD. Um, Tegan, maybe. Yeah, but I was going to say, I was going to mention this in my summing up, but now is a good time to say it. Yeah, the, the only time this has really happened before is with Tegan, not to the same kind of massive meltdown extent. No, no, well maybe. No, maybe, maybe well, it does because she does break. She does. Yeah, decide, yeah, yeah. This she's is like, enough she's, now. She's, I'm off. She says she's seen so much death. Yeah. <laughs> Just, but to an extent, all of the companions have seen mortal danger. They've seen people they care about die. Hmm. They've seen planets die. They've seen civilizations die. Some have seen the little devil. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah true. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, Rose. So yeah, you can see they would need aftercare and support, but it doesn't get mentioned that often. And that's a really nice thing about this story, is that it does mention the need for aftercare almost. Yeah, which would probably be a really, really depressing big finish spin-off. <laughs> just the companion says in therapy. Them all. They'd be brilliant though. Can you imagine them all sat around kind of going, um, "My name's Turlo." And I travelled with the Doctor between <laughs> this yes. year and this year. And uh, originally, I mean, first of all, I wanted to kill him. And then I kind of, we got along okay. Uh, but then, yeah, I probably left before I genuinely did kill him. 
That reminded me behind the sofa thing in the Blu-ray box says this is going to be the on the sofa one they do for the new scenes. You want, yeah, you really want to just know it's some <laughs> Basically, he dumped me on a beach in Norway with his genocidal clone. <laughs> yes. I was expected to just get on with my life. Get on yeah. with my life because there'd been, you know, my life was complete because I'd been handed a sexy, sexy version of the Doctor that I could live with and it'd be all great. Yeah, yep. every time I looked at him, I could see that it wasn't the real one. And I started to resent him for it. And eventually I just hated him. And that's why the marriage didn't work. Like, that's... <laughs> and tell me, Dodo, what's your story? Oh, I went for a holiday in the country. By the time he came back to London, he fucked off. <laughs> but then I was out of contract. Pretty much. Pretty much. Perry's would be interesting. Um, oh, Christ, can you imagine? There's so much to unpack there. <laughs> yes, that would be that would be something. Started with being um, strangled, ended with being married to Brian Blessed. Married to Brian Blessed, but halfway through having your mind ripped out. Um, <laughs> that one, that'll be fun. It'll be fun. Then you could work out where exactly Bonnie Langford came into it. You know, poor Mel. This could this could be our spin-off podcast, couldn't it? We we could get these people. We could get the actors on as guests. On the psychiatrist. Well, the doctor couch. was a mental health case. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! There we go. That's for the Patreon. <laughs> yes. Oh, boy. Oh, we're getting more than 81 downloads now. <laughs> yeah, we're busting that 100 barrier before long. <laughs> right then. Uh, what we've got left? Dave, you've. Lift final you point. Burned through. I've got nothing left. Oh, I have okay. shot my load. Oh, it's all over the podcast. Right then, Cam. Do you want to give us one final point for the prosecution? One of final Kill point. I've touched on this before, but this is the episode where Capaldi's doctor reaches full on twat level. Um, <laughs> he's, you know, effectively, he spends half the episode buggering off and then popping up again at the right moment just to save them all, because he falls into the amniotic fluid and then suddenly pops up again out of nowhere as if nothing's happened. And then he same thing again when he buggers off in the TARDIS to leave them to make a decision. He has nothing positive to say about Courtney. He argues with Clara all the time. Um, he has a kind of disdain for humankind. Obviously, they're planning on blowing up the moon, and he doesn't quite like the idea, so he makes it obvious that he kind of doesn't like them as far as that's concerned. I can appreciate that there was an element of kind of cranky aloofness that Capaldi was trying to bring in, kind of like a Tom Baker, Colin Baker kind of thing in his performance, but holy moly, does this over-egg it completely. Yeah, the, the Doctor isn't really in this one much. He doesn't do much, he doesn't appear much. Bits of exposition, and that's about it. It's, it's relatively a Doctor light story, and as you say, when he's in it, he's not doing much of any use. So I can't really disagree with much there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> that was a and short sweet final lead, point. Uh, <laughs> okay then, well, if that's the final point, should we go to the summings up? Let's go to the summings up. All right then, Dave. Do you want to give us your summing up in defence of Kill the Moon, please? Yeah, this is... It's not a classic story. It's not a massive story. Nothing's changed by the end of it. But what this story shows is that Things that you believe to always be true are not going to always be true. The moon is not always going to be there. Sometimes it might be an egg. But the main thing that this story itself shows us is the Doctor is not human. At the end of it, you realise that Clara needs help because of what she's done 
and what she's been through because the doctor wasn't there to help her. And even though she needs help, the doctor's still not there to help her because he's an alien. And it's good that every now and then we are reminded that the doctor is an alien. The story itself, there's two stories here. The first story is the cheeky alien space jump scare story, which is great and should have been an episode on its own. And the second story is the allegorical story for people having to make choices that are going to cause them damage in the future and everyone isn't going to agree with. And I think that's a great thing for the Doctor to look at. No matter what side you come down on the pro-life, whatever you want to call it, abortion debate, you have to see the choices people make when they're placed in really, really unbelievable situations are going to affect them. And it's nice that the Doctor covers that. So it, it's, yeah, it's not great. It's not a classic. It doesn't change anything overall in the universe. But it shows that we should be nicer to each other. And we should give each other more respect. Because it, it does start with Courtney needs to feel like she's special. And everyone needs to feel like they're special. So if we just spend a little more time making sure that everyone around us was a bit happier, we were a bit nicer to each other, and a bit more supportive to people after things have gone wrong, the world would be a nicer, more hopeful place with a dragon egg for the moon. And that's why I think this is not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. Be nicer to each other. Be supportive of each other. Make each other feel special. Counter that, Cameron Phillips. The moon's a fucking egg. Let's have you summon up for the prosecution. As I said, it's impossible. Uh, as I said at the top, it's impossible to kick this story right from the start. And you know, I'm not going to stand here and say this is a you know travest waste of 45 minutes of my life, because I think there's the biggest crime against Doctor Who that Kill the Moon has is it starts off so well, and then jumps the shark completely, jumps the dragon, jumps the space spider, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, it plummets groundward quite quickly in its own gravitational pull. So, as we said, the mining um, station on the moon, the moon losing its mass, affecting the planet, that's fine. That's that live it. And if it was just a story about that, this might be very, very good. What you end up with is a second half, which the resolution is completely, seemingly just a idea thrown against a wall to see what's stuck. Nothing about the resolution seems to actually last or make any difference. It all just seems to be reset at the end anyway. So there's no much of a point in doing anything. The decision that was this life-threatening decision beforehand, not five minutes before, is rendered pointless. Um, all the characters are probably at their most dislikable here as well. Clara's you know, just incredibly whiny. The Doctor, as we've already just discussed a few minutes ago, is um, pretty distant and cold. Courtney is just there to seemingly just whine at everyone. Most of the astronauts are either cannon fodder or the main woman is just a scowl on legs. There's... That's just really about it. As it promises so much and then just delivers on nothing at all as far as Kill the Moon goes. It's not a well-regarded episode of Doctor Who. I don't think anyone can sit here and tell me that it's one of the best runs. Capaldi's had a few duffers, not loads... But I'd argue this is definitely in that bunch of duffers. Um, but when Capaldi's hits his stride, you get stuff like, you know, Hell Bent, which is fantastic. He tries his level best to work with this, but I don't think even his abilities can pull this one off. For that reason, for promising so much and then delivering so little, it's guilty of trams in his Doctor Who. 
Okay then, that's two very strong summons up. Shall we be beholden to the format and go to the verdict? We shall! And it's going to be anything that pisses off Cameron. Anything that sends Cameron (laughs) over the edge. (laughs) Shall we go to the complex ridden verdict? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Hear ye! Hear ye! The Colts in session. Now here come the judge. Here come the judge. Alright, so let's try and sum up Kill the Moon. An episode, as we've seen tonight, from evidence from the public gallery and indeed at the time from reviews after the original broadcast, which is one of those genuinely divisive stories that can go either way when brought before our courtroom. We have what appears on the surface to be a scaled-down episode, a small supporting cast and three main locations, something we usually associate with an underwritten mid-season budget-saving exercise. What we end up with is Doctor Who doing things that is hinted towards in the past but never carried through on. There's an an argument made in this courtroom this evening that the whole motion of the moon being an egg is absurd and it mangles its scientific angle. Which would be true if it weren't for 51 years of previous of absurd notions and bullshit science. The very foundation of Doctor Who. It's a daft idea, sure, but as with most things in this episode, it's a background piece to serve the crux of the episode, the relationship between the Doctor and Clara. We've seen episodes before deal with the notion of what would happen if the Doctor wasn't around to save the day, which are usually undercut by being played out in a parallel universe or having the Doctor turn up at the last minute when all, all hope seems lost. This throws the switch the other way. The Doctor, as we eventually find out, manipulates the situation in order to test his companion, leaving sole responsibility in their hands. It's done, as Millie said in Listener Evidence, in a bold and brutal way. The Doctor coldly, methodically, perhaps cruelly, throwing Clara in at the deep end to see how she responds. We're still in the early stages of Capaldi's Doctor arc here. It's a modern day take on how Colin Baker's era was originally intended to pan out the brusque, alien, distant Doctor, slowly having layers revealed and becoming more human as his time goes on. At the same time, we've got Clara's arc going in the other direction, a companion becoming more and more like the Doctor, for better or worse. This story intersects the two strands well. With the Doctor leaving, Clara becomes the Doctor for the duration and has to take the risks and make the tough choices. It's a meeting point in the development of these characters that will play out over the rest of their time together. I know we try not to take into account arcs outside of an individual story in this podcast, and while this is a major development in the crux of the episode, the episode stands on its own even when you're taking that out of consideration. It's a small, perfectly contained story, simply told but dealing with big themes and motivations, and gives us things we've never seen before. We've never seen the Doctor act in such a massively manipulative way towards his friends before, and we've never seen a companion driven to leave the Doctor on the account of his behaviour. The final scene of the TARDIS is the icing on the cake of a simple story, well told, balancing big ideas for a small cast without having to resort to disaster-laden imagery to drive home the force behind the main points of the story. Best episodes of Series 8? Yeah, it probably is. Best episode of the Capaldi era? It stakes a claim. And let's not forget that by prosecuting this story, as Dave said last month, Cameron is against a woman's right to choose. Just remember to fact that that into your votes when you come to cast it, folks. The court finds Kill the Moon not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. 
Not even your son's going to back you up on that one. Anti pro choice. If I love to you, Cameron, he might not even exist. <laughs> <laughs> Reactions, prosecution, defence to the verdict? Uh, I'm going to go full on David Icke. This is going to be my own podcast. Um, <laughs> it's going to be my own radio station. I'll be available for um, YouTube <laughs> shows. <laughs> And uh, this is how, basically, uh, Lee is essentially from a family of reptiles. Uh, <laughs> he's not human. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this is this is gonna be this is it. This, it's all just a conspiracy against me. It's the whole thing's a conspiracy. You've all got it in for me. In for me. They've all got it in for me. And we all know that all your families descended from the lizard that hatched from the moon in the first place. So you know. Of course. Yeah. 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 True, true. 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 Really, this might be the best of this series. That's what you said. Maybe, maybe even if you take out Dark Water and Death in Heaven, which are quite strong episodes, which we've covered, then you know the Caretaker—that's classic Doctor Who. Time heist. Come on, Doctor Who robs a bank. Time heist was good. Mummy and the Orient Express, which follows us, is possibly the only one that maybe rivals it for being up there. I like Mummy and the Express. It was really good. Flatline is classic science fiction. You're just saying this in case you have to defend them later on, aren't you? No, I'm saying this because I was looking at the season earlier and was quite surprised <laughs> when you just popped out with this might be the best one of the series. Because it's blatantly not. I said might. If you're gonna I vote this as being if you're gonna vote this as being not guilty, you're effectively agreeing with Lee that this is the best of this series. <laughs> I said and possibly the best of Capaldi. Be the best of the series. The and the it best stakes of a claim to being perhaps the best of Capaldi's era. Never said anything definitive. Just said, Coopies. <laughs> Dave, yeah. happy with the verdict in the courtroom? No. This might be the best of Capaldi's. <laughs> no, I'm not happy with that. Even the defence is distraught. Oh, God, they've turned the wings against me. Well, luckily, it's not up to what happens in the courtroom. In the end, you, the listener, get to decide what happens with the overall verdict. So, for a few days after this episode goes out, we will put a poll up on Twitter, at the Polis Box. You go and vote. You get the ultimate say over whether Kill the Moon is guilty or not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. We'll reveal the results of that in the next episode. Cameron's disappeared off camera to get his coin, which can only yes. mean... It's time for the envelopes of justice! Yay. I thought he finally just spat his dummy and he was walking away. <laughs> that's it, that's the next episode. I'm just walking out into the, re- into the raining streets and just bellow at the sky. <laughs> and his dressing gown. In my dressing gown and my wife fronts. That'll be a sight for everyone. Even the ice cream man's turned against me. He didn't, he didn't turn up. Exactly, mate. Nay, is for you. Although I was convinced the other, the other night, I fell asleep on the couch last Thursday night, and it's Thursday night the ice cream van comes round, and I, I'm, I'm utterly convinced that I woke back, I was jolted awake at half past eleven on the couch in front of the telly, for the sounds of the ice cream van passing by my house at half eleven, and you know, like, that can't have happened, but it was, wow. like, properly, like, anyway, by the by. If I can let you into a little bit of inside baseball, living in a big city, like me and Dave... If an ice cream yeah. van goes past your house at half past eleven playing its tune, it means one thing and one thing only. It's been stolen. It's time for a big finish drop-off. It's drugs. <laughs> <laughs> hey kids, it's drugs. That van is heading to Nick Briggs' house with so much gack you wouldn't believe. <laughs> and you do get a flake in it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, before the lawyers get in touch, let's go to the envelopes of justice. Dave, 
you on last episode's vote. So Dead you, up. Yeah, that's that's, unusual. That's, that's a nice, that's a nice wee treat for you, yeah. isn't it, Dave? Yeah. 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 So you get to select from the envelopes of justice. So we will do that. I will run my fingers across the envelopes as usual. You say stop, and I will draw the envelope. What we draw is what we do. I am now fingering the box. Stop. We're stopping here. Okay, before we reveal what it is, Cameron, do you want to flip the coin? Heads is prosecute, tails is defend. What it lands on is what you do. Right. It's tails. It's tails. So you're oh. going to be defending this one. Can oh, I right. fear her? Sadly, it's not going to be fear her, because we have another one from the Stephen Moffat era of Doctor Who. Oh, Jesus. Just endless Moffat. We're never going to get that McCoy, are we? No. Episode 4. 248 is when we finally get our McCoy. So, we do have another Moffat. So, it's another Matt Smith or another Peter Capaldi. So, let's see what we've got. Well, it can't be a good Capaldi because apparently we've had the greatest of Capaldi's time. <laughs> had the best one. I said, mate, fuck you. <laughs> okay, then. Episode 55 of the Polis Box. Cameron will be defending and Dave will be prosecuting. A Matt Smith episode. Excellent. It's Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS. Ooh. There you go. Ooh. Ooh. Now, I remember that has been a bag of crap. He's <laughs> <laughs> getting into character already, folks. Well, I think you'll find it's the best Matt Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Some might say of his entire era. Yes. I, I, I don't want to, you know, appear shallow or anything. I, I like to uphold standards on this podcast, but uh, the if first you thing... If you're shallow, you shouldn't be spending that much on a fucking haircut. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to appear shallow, but when I opened the envelope and saw that, one thought popped into my head. That it's the only thing I seem to be able to remember from this entire episode, that uh, Jenna Coleman spends at least a quarter of it in a very short dress, completely wet. Don't know why that lodged in my brain. I've absolutely no idea. Wow. Just wow. I'm sure it's integral to the plot. It's integral to the plot, I'm sure. It's just, just not it's something for the dads. No. No. See? She could be outside shouting at the sky in the rain. <laughs> Rather than me getting the dressing gun, the wife runs. Cabra's special brew. <laughs> and that's yeah. not really a moon, it's an egg. It's a fucking egg. Oh, it's that one. It's a really fucking pointless, dull, confusing one. <laughs> oh, we've kicked it off already, have we? <laughs> a little sneak preview of what to expect next time, folks. If I was at 20 past 10, let's just stick it on now and do the whole thing in real time. <laughs> it's so long since I've been able to stick the boot in one of these. Well, now's your chance. Now's your chance. You're back on the, back in the dark side, Dave. So much fun. <laughs> so there we Here go. Here we go. So there we go, that's what we're going to do in episode 55 of the Polis Box. It will be Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS from Series 7 of Doctor Who. In episode 54, we've just covered Kill the Moon. As we said, it's up to you. The final decision rests with you, the listeners. We'll put the poll up on Twitter after this episode goes out at the Polis Box on Twitter. You get to decide whether Kill the Moon is guilty or not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. We'll reveal the results next time. In the meantime, this has been a somewhat fractious at points but ultimately we all love each other that's what we take away from this we have to make each other feel special and be nice 
Until the I'm next time. Away the, I'm taking away that you've got some wrong-headed ideas about the best Capaldi. <laughs> That's kind of my takeaway of the evening as well, to be honest with you. That yeah. is the main takeaway tonight. I said might. The fuck? I said might. Fucking I hell. think I think the judge has been ordering from the ice cream van at half eleven night. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I watched this episode last night. Just tied the belt round my arm and let the smooth yep. gold liquid take me into a special Capaldi place. Because what's more Edinburgh than that, eh? Aye. Yep. There we go. It's That's such a perfect day. <laughs> I'm glad I spent it with you. And a flake. And Nick Briggs. Oh, such a perfect day. <laughs> That's it for episode 54 of the Polis Box, folks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. If you started listening, thanks for jumping on board. I've been Lee. I've been Dave. And I've been Cameron, shouting at the night sky. At an egg. <laughs> An egg. It's a fucking egg. It's an egg. <laughs> Why can't you see this? Wake up, sheeple. It's an egg. <laughs> Get out, everybody. Hey kids, it's Big Finish Strugs.